Uh, well, hi there, I'm Luke DeFisher, uh, and you're at Rootstock Cider and Spirits today, uh, and I am a cider maker here. Where are we located, actually? Uh, we are in the heart of uh, New York State's apple country, Williamson, New York. A uh, lot of family fruit or farms around here. I myself am a fifth generation in my family's fruit farm. Uh, we've been growing apples here for over 80 years, and about nine years ago, we got into the uh, craft beverage industry, and so started that cidery from there. And, uh, I mean, the area is known for the apple and the fruit that's around here. Um, do you think it was an easy transition for yourself going from apple orchard as a family to cidery? I think a lot of the expectations of the fruit were there to begin with. Uh, you had a lot of people with experience, my grandfather and father, for instance, who uh, spent their entire careers on my family farm uh, growing this fruit, working with this fruit. Uh, and a community that's also built up around that. So it's a community of apple growers, uh, all the infrastructure that supports that crop. Uh, transitioning into hard cider though, uh, there were a few curveballs uh, that were new to us. Uh, certainly the, the making, the analogy portion of it uh, was new to us. Uh, but it's been, it's been a really inviting challenge. Uh, I've been able to kind of uh, transition my skill set uh, in, into fermentation and it's been great. I love the challenge. Is there a reason you got into it or more so that you just or, you know, you liked cider and you realized you have a, an abundance of apples available for you? Uh, so as a family farm, uh, we had business motivations for getting into it. Uh, about five years ago, you didn't have as many cider brands on the market uh, in New York State as you do now. I, I'd say now we're, we're well above 100 cideries in the state alone, uh, but there was lots of opportunity. Uh, so there was certainly a, a business motivation for us to uh, expand from just being growers into value-added producers, into cider makers. Uh, but for me, I was, a, I was a total science geek in college. So I was going for, uh, I think I was going for my PhD or my master's. I just wrapped up undergrad, wasn't really sure what I was going to do. And I uh, had this really nice technical skill set, but I really didn't want to dig back into academics right away. Uh, so when my father came to me and... and told me about this idea. I just did all my research and it just clicked for me. I had the skill set and there was this really rich history uh, about hard cider that I really got tied into. So a little bit of romanticism on my part. <laughs> uh, tell me about the place we're in right now. Uh, so where we are right now, this is our tasting room. Uh, the goal in the tasting room is to reflect a lot of our, our core values here uh, with Rootstock. Uh, and that is to use as much from the farm as we can. So we're sitting in this really nice uh, tasting room. There's a lot of exposed timber framing here on the walls. Uh, the timber frame pieces that you see around here, all this hand-hewn wood, uh, actually came from an old barn that had been on our property uh, for years and years and years. Uh, we were luckily able to salvage uh, this wood when that barn eventually came down. Uh, it fell down on its own because of some roof problems, and we just saw uh, a lot of potential to uh, really use that as an accent, as a feature here in the tasting room. And the large bar uh, and a lot of the pieces, a lot of the tables that you see in here are also made from uh, trees that were grown here on the farm and uh, logged out and aged uh, just for this purpose. So you mentioned uh, before we started chatting here, your, your positioning is a little different than some of the others, whereas you're maybe not the destination, you're a little bit on, in between on the destination. Has that sort of played a role in how you set up the place and, and what you're looking at here? And, and you know, I'm assuming it can get decently busy on a Friday, Saturday night. 
Almost certainly. Uh, so we, we try and be uh, a feature out there. We try and uh, offer uh, what services we can and, and offer a great time out here. But our focus is on our products. Our focus is on uh, providing, really, really showing our best example of how you can enjoy our ciders, our spirits. Uh, in a lot of ways, it's a showroom. So we love having people out here, but we also love educating them about that. That's why uh, I take knowing the history of cider, uh, the, the importance of blends and styles uh, in our ciders, uh, very importantly. And I make sure our staff is trained on that as well. Um, yeah. Tell me about the line of what you have available for us here and maybe some of the other uh, gorgeous bottles and other products that you have around. Yeah, uh, so our line of ciders really focuses on uh, how do, what do we like about the apples, uh, how can we showcase that in a cider, uh, and how can we bring that forward in something that is different from the other ciders that we make. So we will go through the orchard, we'll pick out specific blocks of the orchard that we like, uh, specific varieties out there that we like, uh, we'll sample that fruit fresh, we'll do small pilot batches, and we'll come up with a blend. Uh, and that blend is really important because that really makes the signature of the cider. Uh, each one of the ciders that we're trying today, uh, for instance, we have original in the glass right now, is made with its own unique blend of apples. Uh, for instance, this is piñata in Ida Red. Uh, we just think those ferment out and have this wonderful mango, pineapple nose once it's undergone a fermentation. Uh, we take a lot of care into that process, and so we, we really build those out into each of our, in, into each of our blends. Um, then from there, we have our kind of core setup of ciders. We have three uh, styles that I would say make up our flagship brands. That would be our original, dry, and hopped ciders. And then from there, uh, we will offer seasonal releases. And so those will only come out, we'll do one, maybe two batches a year. Um, we'll only do about three or four styles of those. Uh, and those are going to be a little bit more technical. Uh, they're going to be a little bit more uh, for the specialist drinkers. And that's going to be our Belgian style cider, our fruited cider, uh, or our plum cider. Uh, and then we will uh, later this season be releasing a, uh, a different style of rosé, which is going to be available. Those two tiers uh, were really going to be accessible. So we make sure that we're offering it in packaging formats that are accessible to people. Uh, we'll offer those in bottles, kegs, and 12-ounce cans. And then at the very top tier, uh, we make a lot of those products for ourselves, and those are going to be our limited-release, uh, ultra-premium specialty ciders, and that's going to be where you'll find our heritage selection, uh, which is really a terroir-focused cider. It uses the same blend of apples from the same uh, block of orchards uh, every year to showcase what the effect of season is uh, on that vintage. Uh, that'll be our Perry, as well as some of our Heritage uh, Rosés, which is more of a value-added rosé that we have. And then your products available here to be able to purchase as you go. You've got the Tap House uh, as well. Are you available outside of the area? Uh, so our territory, uh, we're, we're distributed throughout the state of New York, um, primarily focused here in western New York. And so that means we'll be available in Rochester, the Finger Lakes region, Buffalo, and Syracuse. But uh, if you're in the state of New York, if you get in touch with your local uh, beer buyer, uh, they can get in touch with us and we can get some cider out to them. What's been one of the bigger challenges that you've come across that uh, either you're still facing or has been one of those, well, ooh, we got lucky we kind of got through it? I, I would say one of the, it kind of returns to your first question, I'd say that 
Uh, it's, it's finding our own skill set and how far uh, that extends, and then uh, at what point we'll need to bring in other people to kind of help complement that. Uh, so like I said, I'm, I'm pretty well-versed and, and have a good technical background. My father uh, has years and decades of pomology and, and growing uh, apples. But uh, there were still some shortfalls that we had in, uh, in enology and in a little bit in marketing and establishing that, kind of communicating the story of the ciders. I'd say one of our best moves uh, was not keeping everything totally in the family. Uh, so not to the point of nepotism. We would never go for that here. We hired uh, Alex Robb, Alexander Robb, whose name is on the labels of all of our ciders. He is our head cider maker. And he is truly a, a fermentation master. So Alex uh, spent uh, the first, uh, first half of his career, first major portion of his career, uh, working in the Finger Lakes wine region. Uh, he really specialized down there in these cool temperature fermentations, fruit-focused fermentations, uh, with, with some challenging uh, varieties. He came in uh, to Rootstock with that skill set of cool temperature fermentations and a focus on bringing out varietal character and was able to apply that to apples. And I think that's what makes us stand out. We're really able to draw that uh, out of each variety because we have that experience. What's your uh, capacity here for, for juice on the year? Ooh, good question. Let me think about that. I would say that this year we will be producing 50,000 gallons of cider, hard cider. Uh, next year we can probably probably go up to 60,000. It, it really depends on what the market's calling for from us. We don't want to overproduce and have a lot of cider uh, sitting out there in tanks. The orchard produces more than enough fruit uh, for our own needs. So in addition to supplying uh, all of the ciders in our operation, we also sell a large majority of our crop to other cideries. So uh, if you're out there and trying some different ciders uh, from New York State, uh, New Hampshire, there's a good chance that it's probably got fruit uh, that was grown right here on the farm. Very neat. And um, you said you, you've five, ten years that this whole process has been working with, and you've seen a large impact of, of new players in the market. Has that been uh, positive or maybe a bit of a challenge? Uh, I think it's been a very positive experience. Um, there's, there's a few challenges there, but overwhelmingly, uh, we're seeing that cider can establish itself uh, as a contender right up along there with wine, beer, and spirits. Uh, I think the big concern in the early stages of, of cider as a category was that it might get lumped in there with uh, a lot of these fashionable but not sustainable uh, types of alcohol. Uh, th these are going to be your mixed alcoholic beverages, a lot of uh, these hard sodas that you might see out there. Uh, there was some concern about cider kind of just getting relegated to that aisle of the grocery store. Uh, but it looks like cider is here to stay and people want it to stay. Uh, I think it's been great to have so many other brands because you're hearing a lot of people, you're seeing a lot of different brands approach it in such a different way. Uh, it, it allows for a lot of creativity and it lets people ask a lot of questions and get a good education. And it's neat because I think we see the same uh, experiences and maybe some of the same challenges on the Ontario side of the lake, um, where the number has doubled in the last five years, where there was about 40 or so, and now we're up to 80 or 90 uh, since we sort of got started from, from the beginning till now. And uh, we are seeing, again, the same thing, like you said, a, a standardized, it's expected now, 
you go into the restaurant, it shouldn't just be a single strongbow available. People are looking for a variety places, uh, especially that are beer focused now, do have uh, a single cider on tap and, and are starting to sort of push and grow with that. So um, do you see that there maybe is a limit to what's being expected or are you hoping that more and more people will will take a risk and step outside of what their natural comfort zone is and, and maybe continue to see some growth in the market? I, I think we may soon be approaching the point where there are so many new styles of cider coming out. Uh, there's so many approaches to making cider that people can get confused by that. And, and I'm not saying that uh, people will get exhausted by that. I think a, a good craft beverage drinker should bounce around and try all different kinds of styles because that's such an opportunity now. Uh, there's so many choices out there and I think that that is a great thing. But I do think that as the industry grows uh, stateside and internationally, we should come up with a common language. Uh, so I think there should be a very wide selection of different cider styles, but we should all have about the same uh, definitions of, okay, this is a dry cider, this is a heritage cider. Uh, you know, if your cider has uh, things that aren't just apples and pears in them, uh, this might be called a, a fruited cider or an adjunct cider. I think that that vernacular would definitely go a long way. That would educate uh, a lot of drinkers out there, and they'd at least have that as a resource. And that's part of what we try to do with us is we try to, uh, uh, for the blog, catalog and index as opposed to review. Right. And just say, oh, we like this one because it's this and that, where you get a lot of, uh, of people who are, you know, that sort of Instagram model type person who takes a photo and says, I had this cider, it tasted delicious. Uh, we try to distinguish with, you know, tasting notes and, and, and cataloging and, and so on. And we found that there's been a lot more people who are moving towards wanting to know that information. So it's really important to have on hand as well from, from what you're doing here. Um, you mentioned the spirit side of thing. Tell us what drove you down that road? Uh, yeah, so we, we originally started into the craft beverage business as a distillery. And again, it was the same uh, source of inspiration. We wanted to use everything that we grew on the farm and value add it. We wanted to make something and offer something that you couldn't find at the time. Now, this was 2012. You couldn't find this in many other places. You couldn't find a 100% apple vodka. You couldn't find a, an entire range of different types of fruit brandies. Um, that was such a rarity, uh, in, definitely in the state of New York, and I'd say there were, there were even few brands uh, nationally that you would see that. That was, a, that was a big source of inspiration for us to get into the business. Uh, started by making one brand, it was a vodka, and we had to wait about two years before we could release our first aged uh, spirit, which is Applejack. Uh, those two have been our biggest sellers, uh, vodka and Applejack, both of them uh, made entirely from apples, grown right here on the farm. Uh, we've noticed that spirits don't have quite the same turnover uh, that you'll see in hard ciders. I think people just tend to take a bottle home, collect it, hold it. Uh, they're just not going through it quite as fast. But um, we're happy to also be making distilled spirits and uh, happy to offer that in the portfolio. Before we wrap up, my question as a uh, new cider maker, we've been able to get a, a hold of some, uh, some juice uh, from, from a, a good friend of us who's given us some quite high-end quality uh, juice to work with. Um, what would you say is one of the most important features of the process that we should be mindful about? What do you think that makes cider and something to really sort of focus on? I'd say the two most important stages would be your fermentation and then your maturation. Uh, so you want to go 
low and slow in your fermentation. And that means that uh, once you bring it in and you select a variety of yeast uh, that you want to work with, uh, you'll pitch that yeast, you'll start your fermentation up, and then you want to keep it cool. Uh, temperature control is very important. Uh, one of the biggest things I, I had learned just learning my basics in cider making was that a lot of the attributes that we like in cider are on a molecular basis very lightweight and that means they get kind of carried away from the fermentation or blown off of the fermentation whenever uh, whenever you have a lot of CO2 coming out. And that happens when you have a hot temperature fermentation. And then maturation is very important because you want to keep oxygen out of that. Uh, you don't want to be agitating it too much unless you're covering it uh, with a blanket of CO2. Uh, here in our facility, we use argon. It's just what uh, we were raised up on in using as a, as a kind of an industry carryover. But uh, a blanket of CO2 to keep out oxygen uh, is great. And then you'll age it, keep it off its leaves if you want a nice clean nose. Otherwise, uh, you might get some autolysis that way. But yeah, maturation is also kind of part of how the uh, that fermentation gets its really nice bouquet. Excellent. And uh, if people want more information or where they can get uh, get a hold of you, uh, where should they look? Uh, just find us on Facebook at uh, Rootstock Cider Works, or you can go online and look up rootstockciderworks.com. Thank you so very much for the opportunity to chat. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for coming up.